Good morning, church. Good morning, online community. It's great to have you uh, joining us today as well. And um, let everybody get settled. If you're visiting for the first time, my name is John. Thank you. You know me. I'll trip over that. Uh, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor of the Gathering Place Church. And um, online, my name is John. I'm the leader of the Gathering Place Church. And uh, if you were to describe, think about this for a second. If you were to describe God in one word, what would it be? Us? Oh, I was going to say, wait a minute. This isn't a new age church. We're not gods. Awesome. Come on. Name God in one word. Love. Good. Holy, present, present. present. Father. Father, perfect, perfect. perfect. What? huh? Kind. kind. Did you guys know in the book of Ephesians, it literally says, this is amazing. It's like, this is like a scripture. It literally says that the reason God saved us was so that he could show us his kindness forever. <laughs> wow. That doesn't move you? Okay, I'm sorry. That one just undoes me. David, how would you describe God in one word? Love. Love. That's two words. We don't have the smartest congregation, but we do have a desire for God, unlike... (laughs) You know, love... Love is the number one word, I believe, that we would use to describe God. The problem with that is our definition of love can be pretty weak, right? Like, Dan, I love your shirt, right? Chris, I love, I love that color of, of your blouse. That's wonderful. Uh, Judy, I love your glasses. Gloria, I love your earrings. I love this marble. I love shag carpeting, right? I mean, would you, yeah. I mean, our, our definition of love is like, I love my wife. I love my dog. It's like, it's a little bit, it's a little bit too uh, overused. So there's a word the Bible uses that I think describes God's love uh, the best. And that is compassion. You guys got it? Yeah. All right. That is compassion. When God, when Moses said to God, show me who you really are. God said, of course, I'm going to show you my goodness. But he says, I'm going to declare my name before you. So when when somebody's about to walk into a room that's famous, you know, they they declare, presenting. I do this at my house a lot when somebody comes over. I actually do. I throw the door and say, presenting Phil Williams. And then my kids are like, oh, my gosh, Dad. (laughs) You're, you're, You're welcoming somebody into your home. God says to Moses, I'm going to declare my name before you. And what does he say? I am compassionate. I am gracious and full of compassion, God says, as he's describing himself. This word compassion of the Greek is to suffer with. The connection of suffering with another person brings compassion beyond sympathy into the realm of empathy, which is what Isabel was just saying. That was the Holy Spirit. Because I know what's going to happen in the service, like what we structure, what the message is going to be, what the song list is going to be, there are those who don't know. I hear God speaking through them all the time in every service. If Stephanie's up here doing the announcements and the offering or Isabel or or if Shane or Josh don't know what it is I'm going to say, they say it. That's God speaking to us, talking about how we hear God's voice. He speaks through many people. And she was talking about we're an action church. And that's the difference between a weak definition of love and compassion. Compassion just doesn't feel something. It does something. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And that's our God. Now, some of you are uncomfortable with emotions. I get it. It can make you feel out of control. But you're going to feel really uncomfortable with God because God is the most emotional being in all the universe. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they rejected him. He wept at Lazarus' tomb because of the grief 
that was all around. He felt the pain. The Bible says Jesus is easily touched with the feelings of your infirmities, your weaknesses. He's easily touched with them. One time I went on a 10-day fast. And at the end of the fast, the 10th day, I felt the heart of God. The tiniest little hurt or pain or or a difficulty in a person's life, literally I felt like my heart was being gripped. I had to ask him to stop. God's compassion for you is like that. He feels every little thing you feel. He made you. He loves you. He has compassion on you. Do we want to live, church, comfortable lives that are safe and sound, or do we want to live radical lives of love? Like, that's an actual question. Do you want to live? Now, some of you are going to say safe and sound. You just won't admit it, but I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, ah, you know, I don't want my life wrecked with the compassion of God. But here's the thing. I, I have rarely had God's divine activity in such a condensed amount of time over the last few months when 2022 started. He said to me, I, I, in 2022, I'm about the restoration of the church for the salvation of the world. Last year, we just got tattered. The last couple of years, the church has been tattered and Jesus is rebuilding his church. That means you and that means me. And he rebuilds his church by rebuilding, restoring our hearts. And so he restored our vision that we are to be reaching out to the lost. And that's every person, the people you like, the people you don't like, the people you're uncomfortable with, the people you don't identify with. God is reaching everyone. He does not desire that anyone perish, even those on the opposite political spectrum. He doesn't want anyone to perish, though you may. He does not want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance and come to eternal life. And I have been experiencing God speaking to me primarily through dreams. I just had another one. And I know, that's how he's leading me on what to teach. It, it's, it's pretty dramatic. I just had another dream a couple nights ago about compassion. Where I was weeping over someone who had died. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a dream of someone who was in prison, was going to be taken, uh, was going to be abused, and nobody cared, and I was weeping. I, in a dream, I was writing down the most vulnerable people in our society on a piece of paper, and I felt God's heart for him. Why is he doing that to me? So that I could come here, hopefully, with his heart and impart it to you, or that God would impart his heart to you. That's my, that is my hope, is that during this compassion series, to the least of these, that just as God expanded our hearts to reach those uh, that have not yet come to a son to share the gospel with them. Now it's about showing the gospel to them. Not just sharing the good news of Christ, but showing the good news of Christ. And so he's already wrecking my heart and I hope he wrecks yours. The word compassion in Hebrew literally means womb because they felt that that's where compassion. How many of you have ever had a loved one, a child, a brother, or sister, a mom, or dad, or uncle, a best friend, someone that was suffering, and you felt it at the core of your being, right? Have you, how many of you have, come on, are you human? Do you have a heart? Have you ever felt that where you literally, like you would almost double over in pain for that person? That's what the Hebrew word for compassion. This is what Paul says about it. For the love of Christ compels us. Now here's the man who was out to destroy Christianity. Uh, arresting Christians and putting them in prison. Cold heart. And yet Jesus appears to him and imparts his compassion into Saul and transforms him and to the apostle Paul, who had such compassion for people to be saved, that he said this, I would give up my salvation if it meant that my Jewish brothers and sisters could be saved. I wouldn't do that. I'd say, hey, I'm going to give you the best shot, but I'm, not, I'm going to heaven. Right? I mean, you see, our human capacity is just dinky compared to God's. Now, this isn't, I'm not talking to a church that doesn't have compassion. I believe God is calling us to go deeper 
that we ever have into all of these things, whether it's faith or wisdom or knowledge or compassion or desire to see the lost saved. This is his heart. Our human wisdom, knowledge, compassion, faith compared to God's, I mean, can you even compare them? But you see, he uses human hearts to flow through. So you have to ask yourself the question. You have to decide, am I going to give God the permission to use my heart to express his heart through? And I really mean that. He actually needs an invitation. That's how God rolls. Jesus was walking with a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it says he was going to pass by their home. And they begged him to stay, so he stayed for two days. The Samaritans, when the whole town came out, and wanted to hear from Jesus. They begged him to stay, and he stayed there for two days. Another time he was walking by a boat. His disciples were in it. And as he, was, he says, he was going to walk by the boat. And they cried out. And so he got into the boat. God is a gentleman. He is not going to force himself on you and I. He wants invitations. And that's a daily invitation. On the way down here today, I said to the Lord, I give you permission to flow your compassion through my heart to people. I don't want to waste my life on some tiny, my four and no more, selfish living, materialistic, my own personal agenda life. I don't want that. We get to live one time and I'm going to live it for God. How about you? How about you? You got to make that decision. This definition of love, the love of Christ compels us. This word love here is agape, but here is a definition of gape from the Greek that is just, it opens it up for us. An undefeatable benevolence. Isn't that a great phrase? An undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest good of the other person, no matter what he does. It is the self-giving love that gives freely without asking anything in return does not consider the worth of its object. Now we know we just departed human love, right? The word compel there means a tight grip that prevents escape. So the apostle Paul, who was Saul, the murderer, now becomes Paul the apostle. And he says, the undefeatable benevolence of God has gripped me so tight. I can't get away from it. That's why I'm coming to you with the gospel. That was, that was the Apostle Paul's description of what it's like to be possessed by the compassion of God. Now, one scripture before we go into our chief text, Matthew 14. Here's Jesus uh, as compassion grips him. When Jesus heard it, now what did he hear? He heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, who he called the greatest prophet who ever lived, holy, righteous, honest, true, forthright. He confronts Herod because King Herod at that time had taken his brother's wife. And John the Baptist, a righteous prophet, said, black and white, right and wrong, that's wrong. And so Herod puts him in prison. And then Herod's wife, uh, his daughter, was dancing for everybody, doing a performance. And he was so moved by it, he was like, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. What do you want? And the daughter went over to the mom and said, what should I ask for? And she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Because she didn't appreciate John the Baptist prophesying right and wrong into their life like we have in our day and age where there is no absolute truth. So you stand up as a Christian and you call absolute truth absolute, absolute truth and it makes people really angry. And so John the Baptist, a righteous prophet, does that. So King Herod has him beheaded. So Jesus just hears that his cousin has been beheaded. So what does he do? He says, he departed there by a boat to a deserted place by himself. Now, I'm sure you've been in a situation before where you are in such pain over somebody's demise of a loved one that you just want to be alone. Anybody ever been there? It's like, I just need, I just need a minute. Just leave me alone. I'm grieving. I'm in grief. And then what if this happened to you? But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out and saw a great multitude, he was incredibly annoyed at them. It's like, can I have a minute? 
I just need a little space, please. That's what I would have done. Is that what you would have done? Come on, be honest, right? Don't call me. Don't text me. Don't eye in me. I need, I need a moment. But what happened here? And he was, say it out loud, family. That's not like a bunch of cows. Let's try this again. Say it. Come on. Three words. Ready? Moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. The compassion of Christ, the compassion of God going through his heart, overrode his grief of his cousin being beheaded. That's how powerful the compassion of God is when it flows through your heart. Isn't that amazing? When I first pioneered this church, we were in a tiny elementary school and the Lord told me to walk around the, the school. And he said, every time you get to a corner, I will give you a word to pray into the foundation of, that, of this church. And I didn't make it up. Like I had nothing in my heart or mind. As soon as I got to a corner, he dropped something in my heart. The first one was prayer. My house would be called a house of prayer. The second corner, I walked up to it, compassion. The third was prophecy, which is God speaks. And the fourth one was praise and worship. Compassion is one of the four cornerstones of our church. But compassion isn't just a feeling. Compassion does. Now, when Jesus was confronted by an a, uh, expert in biblical law, expert in the law of the Old Testament, he was confronted publicly by this guy who had the right biblical answer to a question, but he did not have it in his heart Jesus tells a story that just wrecks religion, which is a head knowledge full of the Bible, but not full of God's heart. Those are the Pharisees. Those are the religious people of Jesus' day. They knew about God, but they did not know God. Can I hear an amen? We cannot become those people. So uh, Jesus tells this story. Um, one day, and well, here's not the story, here's the setup. One day in, in Luke chapter 10, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So you understand what's happening here. Here's a guy who's, you know, all dressed down, looking sharp. He, all he cares about is looking good in front of people. That's his whole motivation. And he comes out in public and he wants to address the rabbi, for I'm an expert in the Bible. Rabbi, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns it around on him, where he's grading Jesus, on because it says he came to test him. You see that first sentence there? He, he, he's not here to learn. He, he's here to test Jesus. See, do you, who, do you really know the Bible the, like I do? <laughs> he, he's picking the wrong fight with the wrong person. Wouldn't you agree? He came to test Jesus, and Jesus decides, oh, I'm going to test you. What does the law of Moses say? Oh, well, this is my field of expertise, so I got this one. How do you read it? The man answers, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, right. And the guy's like... feeling pretty good about himself. And then he says this, do this and you will live. Oh, okay. We just departed from knowledge to action. And the man wanting to justify his actions asked Jesus, he wanted to justify his actions in front of his friends. It's like, oh, I'm being tested now. Now, he's not going to ask a question that he doesn't know he's going to get an A plus on. He's not that dumb. He's in public. This is his reputation. This is everything to him. So he asked this question that he knew he was going to pass the test. And who is my neighbor? And he's probably thinking, all right, Uncle Fred, I took care of him last week. Aunt Susie, my children, my wife. Right, my friends, my Jewish, my Jewish countrymen and countrywomen. Right, I'm, yeah, I, I, I know I've done a good job taking care of people. When I, when I ask people, you know, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? If they say yes, I say why. And the answer I get almost every time is because I've been good to others, because I've been a good person. Right. 
not, not recognizing that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, that we have all sinned, that nobody gets into heaven by being a good person through good works. And so he is trying to justify his actions and he, he believes his answer is going to be A+. Plus. The problem is Jesus' definition and his definition of who a neighbor is are worlds apart. He thinks he's going to be justified, but he's going to be radically challenged instead. And my prayer today is that you and I are radically challenged as well. And to who our definition of who our neighbor is. Jesus says, okay, you want to play that game? Let's break it down. Here we go. So Jesus replies with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. Now, to get it into our context, let's make that priest a pastor. Let's call it your pastor. Let's say that's me, okay? You guys are watching me. And, I, and I'm walking down the road, oh, there's Pastor John. And I see somebody, you see me see somebody who's been beaten up and left for dead on half the side of the road. And I, and I walk over there and I look at him and I look at my watch and I'm like, and I walk away. What would your reaction be? <laughs> okay, now we got it in context, right? Okay, well, I've set you up because watch this. And then a temple assistant, hmm, who would the temple assistants be? Mark. <laughs> yeah, that would be the body of Christ. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, temple assistant, go ahead. These are the folks volunteering in the church. These are the people that are coming to be a part of the kingdom of God, part of the vision. Woohoo! All right. You guys do a little better than me. Walked over and looked at him. So you got a little bit closer. You looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. And so at this point, because the lawyer knows, the, the, the expert in, in the Bible knows that he's going to get an A+. Plus, that he gave the right answer. He knows in his own mind he's taking care of his neighbor. He sees Jesus setting him up for glory because he's like, oh my gosh. First you get the priest who everybody says is like the pinnacle of the example of what God is like in the earth, right? The priest, the pastor, oh my gosh, the man of God. And then you get these church members and they fail too. Well, who's left but me? And so he's thinking he's going to be injected into the story, you know, and then the expert in the law comes and does the right thing. But no, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were called half-breeds, half-Jewish, half-Gentiles. When the northern kingdom of Israel was taken over by the Assyrians, they intermarried and they settled in a town called Samaria. And so they were culturally and spiritually polluted. They gave into all their idolatry. And when, when the Jews returned from captivity to Jerusalem, the Samaritans would literally take pig blood. And as the Jews were trying to rebuild the temple, the, the, the Samaritans took pig blood and they poured it into the temple. And so it would stop the, the, the construction and they'd have to cleanse the temple because that just polluted the temple. And so they, they despised the Samaritans more than they despised the Roman occupation. Jesus picks a pastor and a congregation, a priest and a Levite as the pinnacle of who God is supposed to look like in the earth. And he gives them a huge F. Then he takes a spiritually polluted, culturally compromised, uh, scourge of society in the Jewish mind person and sets them up as the example to follow. Why? Because to Jesus, everything that matters to us, our political affiliation, our race, our culture, our, our, our money, our, our financial status, our education level, our friend group, our prestige, our reputations, all of that 
is taken over by compassion. He says, I'm going to pick the person you despise the most. And if they're showing, you, if they're showing more compassion to the, to the world than you are, be more like them. So my question today to you is, who is your Samaritan? Is it a Democrat? Is it a Republican? Is it a gay rights activist? Is it homophobic? Is it an anti-maxer, anti-vaxer, anti-masker? Is it somebody working for the CDC? Is it the rich? Is it the poor? Somebody of a different race? Is it an abusive parent, a rebellious teenager, a middle-aged white man, a member of BLM? Who is your Samaritan? Who's the person you despise? Oh, pastor, I don't despise anybody. Okay. Who's the person you just don't like very much? Who's the person you would not invite over for Thanksgiving dinner? Who is that person? Jesus is saying, if that person that you despise, Christian, that you don't like, is showing more compassion to the hurting people in the world, I want you to be more like them. So going over to him, the Samaritans soothed his wounds with olive oil, that's soothing, and wine, which is disinfectant, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What just happened? The question was, who is my neighbor? What did Jesus change the question to? You catch it? Say it. Who is being a neighbor? The compassion of God does not judge the worthiness of the object of its compassion. This guy is saying, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, that's irrelevant to the compassion of God. God loves everybody. The question is, who's neighboring? Who's being a good neighbor? He's blowing the doors off this religious man's tiny house. This guy thinks he is Mr. Compassion. And Jesus is showing him how tiny his heart is compared to the compassion of God. May God do the same thing to us. This Samaritan was in, he says, who's the neighbor to the man that attacked the bandits, uh, who was attacked by bandits? Jesus says, the one who showed him mercy. I'm sure he said, you know, under his breath, "Mm, the one who showed him mercy. He can't say the Samaritan, God forbid. And Jesus said, yes, now and go and do the same. Showing compassion is inconvenient. This man was inconvenienced. The Samaritan, he walked. He put the guys on a donkey, and now he's walking beside his donkey. Probably a long way. It cost him a lot of money. It cost him his time. He was headed somewhere. It cost him his time, his agenda, his plans. People are waiting on him. Kind of like I, I had dinner with uh, uh, a couple of friends, uh, a couple of church members just uh, Friday night. They go to our church and they're real estate agents. And uh, they, they are helping uh, uh, the Jordans buy a home, right? And they were talking about how uh, Ashley was late to the meeting. And uh, Sarah was so moved. She said, because you saw an old lady, I think, an older lady, elderly lady on the side of the road, and she had fallen, right? She tripped. So you have, so you got all your kids, you know, how many, you got 14 kids, right? All right. You have all your kids in the car. Where's Chris? Who knows? And okay, he's at the meeting, right? Everybody's looking at their watches. But you saw this elderly woman fall and you stopped to go take care of her. And you would have driven her home if necessary. Because that's just a little more important, right? Great example of 
compassion overriding our agendas. The first lesson we learn here is that being a follower of Jesus isn't just about knowing to good, do good. It's actually doing good. James says it this way. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Right, Isabel? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose your brother or sister has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, Shonda, Shonda. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. John the Apostle says it this way in 1 John. But whoever has the world's goods, adequate resources, and sees his brother in need, but has no compassion for him. Everybody say compassion. compassion. Has no compassion for him. How does the love of God live in him? Now, now look, I'm with you in this. I know my love is dinky compared to God's. That's why I bring my heart to him and I say, please expand the compassion in my heart so you can use me and use my heart and my life to show your compassion to others. That's why I had my wife open up our series last Sunday. I don't, I can't, I don't know personally another story that reveals the compassion of Jesus more than that story. And it's not that my wife is great or that I am great. Jesus appeared to my wife and put his compassion in her heart, which by the way, she didn't tell me until after I said, I do. I didn't know anything about this, right? As you guys learned last week, I didn't know I was marrying mother Teresa wrapped up in a beautiful body and face. I just saw it's like, she, I want her. And, and then I find out later, oh, by the way, Jesus appeared to me and we're going to adopt two special needs children. So, but look, she, I don't know if you know this, my wife was going to be a prosecutor. She was going to be a, a, a lawyer. That's the direction she was headed. And the Lord interrupted that and, and, and she turned down a full ride scholarship and went on the mission field. The Lord changed her heart and took her a completely different direction. And our life is so much richer for it. So much richer for it. And so will yours be. And again, this isn't about us starting from zero. The Lord's wanting to deepen the compassion of the church in the world. When non-Christian organizations and pre-believers are showing more compassion on the hurting people on this planet than the church, we are not doing our job. We are to be the most compassionate organization in the world because the compassion of God, he says that God, what's it say in Romans chapter 5, 8, 5, somewhere in the Bible? It says that God fills our hearts with his love by the Holy Spirit. He wants to use you to show his compassion to people. But whoever has his world's goods, adequate resources, and sees his brother in need, but has no compassion for him, how does the love of God live in him? Little children, believers, dear ones, let us not love merely in theory with word or with tongue, giving up lip service to compassion, but in action and in truth, in practice and in sincerity, because practical love Practical acts of love are more than words. I read this cartoon one time. It says, sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty, famine, and injustice when he could do something about it. And the friend says, well, what's stopping you? He says, I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. I have two friends. One uh, operates in theory. Like he's gone to seminary. He's very, um, he lives out of his head. I have another friend who really has no time or tolerance for that. He works with people on the streets and the homeless and the poor and feeds them. And he's always out there. And then they grew up together. They were in my youth group and they got into a discussion one day and the theologians like hammering him with these big words and trying to just like intimidate him with his biblical knowledge. And my other friend just sat there and listened to him for a while. And then he said this to him, um, how many poor people did you feed this week? It was just the end of the discussion. 
The second lesson we learn is that being a follower of Jesus isn't just about doing good, but who you are willing to do good to. Who was this guy that the Samaritan ministered to? Remember the beginning of the story? A Jewish man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This Jew hated Samaritans. And this Samaritan knew it. This Samaritan didn't care if it was a Jew or Samaritan, male or female, rich or poor, young or old. He was moved because the person was hurting. May we do the same. God's compassion will flow through anybody to anybody. Do you know, we're going to come to a close here, do you know that uh, this love your neighbor didn't start in the New Testament? Jesus didn't come up with that. Did you guys know that? You find this in the Old Testament, Levitical law. Look at this. Leviticus 19, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there it's among your people. But then in the same chapter, he goes on and says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That would be like an illegal immigrant ministering to an ICE agent or vice versa. Jesus says that God makes it to rain on the just and the unjust, to shine on the thankful and the ungrateful. God's compassion is simply moved by suffering people. And our post-Christian culture, I don't know if you know this or not, but things have changed. Our, our nation has moved way beyond Christianity. I hope you understand that. Otherwise, you don't know where you are. And so you won't be effective with your reach. That's one of the reasons, like when I teach, I qualify statements like, say, King David. I'll say, he was a a character in the Bible. He was a king uh, of Israel, right? Because this next generation has no idea who King David was. They weren't raised in church. They weren't raised in Sunday school. They don't know the Bible. In this, post, in this post-Christian culture, what this next generation is, is not asking is, what do you believe? Their question is, do I want to be like you and your friends? It's reversed now. It's, do I want to be like you and your friends first? And then I may want to know what you believe once I see who you are. I've gone to um, three memorial services in the last couple of months. And there's, there, there is nothing that brings reality closer than being at somebody's funeral or memorial service. Would you all agree? All of your philosophies and creeds and beliefs die when you draw your last breath. And all that's left is what you have done and who you were. I went to one memorial service, not the three I've gone to recently, and the person was such a miserable human being, and forgive me for saying that as though it's a a statement of judgment, it's just an observation, had destroyed all of his relationships by the time he died. All of them. That doing a memorial service for a person like that is almost impossible because you have to lie. Like, what do I say? You don't want to speak disparagingly of the deceased, but you have to stand up and give a eulogy. What do you, don't make it hard for people to do your eulogy. That, 
That's like the takeaway from today, all right? <laughs> but the three I went to, what people said about these people was overwhelming. The kind of people they were. It's not what you believe that matters when you die. It's who you were and what you did. That will last forever. In those that you left behind and in heaven. All the rest is... Jesus boils this whole thing down to two words. And we're going to close with this. One, love God. And two, love your neighbor. That's all we do here at the Gathering Place Church. We love God, we love one another, and we love those who are far from God. Everything we do is under the banner of love. That's all we do. Because the Bible says that you can prophesy, you can give all your money to the poor, you can move mountains with your faith, but if you don't have love, you are what? Say it out loud, church. You are nothing. He actually said that. You are nothing. Wow. So this parable teaches us these last three things. We are to show compassion to people, not based on their creed, but on their need. Our neighbors, anyone who is suffering, we're all creatures of the creator. And human compassion isn't enough. We need God's compassion. Now, I wonder what happened to this lawyer. I wonder if he just wanted to get out of there. When is this story going to be over? You might be thinking, when is this service going to be over? When is he going to stop? I want out of here. Or I wonder if he had a heart change. What's happening to you right now? Are the doors of your tiny house being blown off, hopefully? Are you being challenged? Are you saying, God, I don't want to live a selfish, my for no more, my agenda, don't inconvenience me with the needs of others kind of life? Are you willing to just say, if I'm calling myself a Christ follower, and he was the God of compassion. That's what I want to be. I want to be a person of compassion. If that's you, will you just stand right where you are on your feet and say, We're, we sang the song, I want to go deeper. I want to go farther. Is that true? Is it just a song that you're singing? Or do you really want to go deeper? Now, I'm telling you, uh, you know, you may have stood because you don't want to look like the only person sitting, which would look really bad, or you're standing with integrity and God knows, and this isn't a judgment, it's between you and God. I'm just a preacher. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help me with the word and with bringing it. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is a dangerous prayer. Because when you feel God's heart for the hurting, it hurts. I have felt it. You can't live. You can't live like a normal life when God's compassion fills up your hearts. But that's what he wants to do. So can we just open our hearts right now? Just open your heart to the Lord. Like in all sincerity, just say, Lord, my heart is the manufacturing center of lust and greed, hate, love, goodness, badness. My heart is where it all happens. And I'm opening my heart to you right now. And I'm giving you permission to fill it with your compassion. Now, would you just close your eyes with me and just open your hands heavenward and pray that again, just right there between you and the Lord. 
enough preaching. Now we need an encounter with God. Just give him permission. Say, Lord, I give you my heart. And I'm asking you to fill me with the compassion of God. Use my heart, Lord. Compel me as you did the Apostle Paul. Grip me with the needs of those around me. Don't leave me cold and heartless and tiny and small and selfish. Open me up, God, and use me to heal the hurting. Meet the needs of the suffering. Touch them in your name. Everyone said amen. If you're not in a connect group, I'm going to encourage you to be in one because I have some questions that I've written out for all the connect group leaders. Um, that if your connect group is going to do that this week, I've asked some, some are, some uh, are doing other things. But these are the questions. You could actually, uh, once you put these questions up here, and um, these are questions I want you to pray about this week. Like if you want to take a snapshot of the screen, or I'll even send them out to you in a congregational email, a pastoral letter. How have you experienced God's compassion for you directly or through another person? How have you? When have you felt God's compassion flow through you to help someone in need? How did you respond? How did it inconvenience you? What did it cost you? How did it make you feel? Was it worth it? When was the last time you helped someone in need that you didn't like or maybe that didn't like you? What are some practical things you or we could do to show compassion to those in our church, our community, and our world. I'll send those out to you this week, and I want you to take those into prayer and, and cultivate this in your heart. Let the Lord begin to do this in you. And the last thing I want to say is, if you've never given your life to Jesus before, There is no greater display of compassion in all of existence than for God to send his son from heaven to earth for you. There is no chance you're going to make it to heaven on your good works. You're not going to make it there by being a good person. The Bible is very clear about that. I was raised in a religion that you know, taught you need to do good. And if you do bad, you do good. And it kind of, it's, it, it's a wash. It evens it out. That, that's baloney. That's not in the Bible anywhere. In fact, just the opposite is in the Bible. Jesus said that, that all of us has fallen short of God's perfect standard. All of us have sinned. That's why all of us need a savior. When I found out that salvation was a free gift, it made me mad. Because my, me and my parents, my grandparents, great-grandparents, we were trying to earn our salvation by being good church people. When I found out that that's a dead end, I was mad. But now I understand we were just taught what they knew. They didn't know the gospel. The gospel is we've all blown it. But God, so say with me, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus came to the earth out of compassion for you? You and I were the one that was beaten up on the side of the road spiritually. You and I are the ones that are spiritually dead and in trouble with no hope and no help. And God saw you and sent his son to die for your sins so that you could be saved. And that could happen for you right now. As we close today, I'm going to ask if you just close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you today, if you're here and you have never turned your life over to Jesus, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, 
You don't know if you were to die, if you would go to heaven or not, but you want to know. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are so I can, I can see it? Just lift your hand up and say, I've never received Jesus as my Savior, but I want to do it right now. Just lift your hand up so I can see it. Online, if you've never done that, right there where you are, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And those here, pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. That he died for my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner and I have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you into my heart right now. I'm asking you to forgive me for all of my sins. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And I will follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. And amen. And amen. 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 All right, here's how we're going to end this service today. I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to shout hallelujah, all right? You got your hallelujah on? Okay. And then I'm going to have the prayer teams come up front, and they're going to be ready to pray for you. If you have sickness in your body or you have any need in your life whatsoever, they're going to pray over you, and God's going to meet you there, all right? You guys ready for a good hallelujah on our way out of here? You ready to close your ears over there? Because it's coming, all right? This is a rowdy congregation. Ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah! God bless, church. Go love somebody. Come, are you weary?